Good morning, everyone. Good morning, all of you who are here and my friends online. I am really glad to be with you all this morning. And I just want to add a little bit to what Doug said and prayed about and say that if you are weary this morning or worried or a bit shaky, <clears throat> you are not alone. You know, things are unsettling. And in fact, so unsettling that I would not blame any of you <laughs> one bit if you found your mind wandering back to the news of the week uh, during this teaching, during this worship service. And I just even want to say to you, it is okay. Uh, my mind may wander back to the news of the week during this teaching. So if it does, just give me a moment and I'll, I'll come back. Um, but I was thinking, you know, before I came here this morning, what helps when things are unsettling? Um, and I think being here helps. Being in community helps. Um, those of you who are at home, I mean, you're with us too. Uh, being out in nature helps. So I went for a long walk yesterday. Seeking God and God's wisdom, which is a part of what we're going to do this morning, helps. Asking myself, how can I be a force for good in the world right now? And then doing it helps. Uh, but so does a bit of humor. So uh, I saw an article this week with 50 of the funniest tweets from married couples about life uh, and being together so much during COVID. <clears throat> and I wanted to just share my favorite three. Okay, so see if this helps your weary souls just a little bit. Here's the first one. I don't know who this woman is, but she said, this is her tweet. Husband, does it bother you and I? Wife, yes. <laughs> Anybody who's been married even one day can get that one. No, don't, don't worry, husbands. I've got some for you too. Um, okay, so here's another one. This happens at my house. I don't know about you. Me, turns on faucet. Husband, starts talking. Me, turns faucet off. What? Husband, says nothing. Me, turns on garbage disposal. Husband, starts talking. Me, turns it off. What? Husband, says nothing. Repeat forever. <laughs> Around our house, we have this phrase that I, I use very often when I can't hear what Chuck's saying because he's like far away in the house. And I'm like, huh? Huh? Can't hear you. Huh? So, and here's, here's my last one. Here's a guy named Chad who says, every time my wife calls me creepy, I remind her that she is a baggie of our children's baby teeth in her bedside drawer. <laughs> I love that one too. So, hope that helps a little bit. And we laugh, you know, but marriage, the ultimate of close relationships is hard. And for many... COVID has made it even harder. And I want to also acknowledge that marriage is an arena where almost all of us, you can take Chad Reed down now. Jesse, thank you. <laughs> marriage is an arena where almost all of us, um, those of us in happy marriages and those of us in more difficult circumstances, we, we carry with us wounds and regret and pain and I'm super aware that anytime we do a series on family and bring up marriage, which I am going to do today, 
When that happens, for so many, there are all kinds of bells and whistles and alarms and smoke detectors and run for the hills kinds of emotions that get brought up in all of us. Shoot, it happens to me, and I'm the one teaching on the topic. And I want to acknowledge that we, you know, all, uh, all of you that I'm teaching to this morning, we are all over the map when it comes to this. I mean, some of us are recovering from divorce. Some of us are grieving the loss of a husband or wife. Others of us are in the midst of marital stress. Some of us are happily married, go figure. Others are yearning to be married. Others feel like this topic just doesn't apply to them. And we want you to know that we see you. We really do, and we get it. We do not in any way expect that everyone listening to this is who? Who is like the perfect couple right now on TV? The only one I could think of was like Moira and Johnny. If you don't know who they are, that's fine. You probably shouldn't watch the show, but if you do, you might think it's funny. I'm just going to also add, ew, David, to that whole thing. So you can take them down too, Jesse. And, but we also want you to know that no matter your current relationship status, this teaching this morning still applies. Because frankly, the passage I'm going to teach from, from the book of James, wasn't written about marriage. All I'm going to do is take it and apply it to marriage. This passage was written to all followers of Jesus, and it's really a passage of scripture about navigating life during turbulent times. So it is super applicable for Christians as we think about what's going on in our country right now. It's simply good and true and right for all of us to hear this morning and apply in our lives whether we are married or not. So caveats all have been made. And the truth is, relationships between humans are hard, right? That's why we're doing this series called Living in Tension. Tension, I looked this up because I kind of wanted to understand. Tension is the state of being stretched or strained. Relationships just cause tension. It's the understatement of the century. They stretch us. They sometimes strain us. And living in tension simply means that we don't try to escape that kind of stretching that can happen in relationships. Instead, we stay in the tension because it is in the tension that God can transform us. And apparently... We all need a heck of a lot of transformation right now. So let's review for a moment. If you were here last weekend and, or listened to Dave online, you're going to see that this is a repetition, but I think it's an important repetition. Let's review for a moment what we mean when we talk about living in the tension. It means not needing all the answers, sticking with commitments, especially when they're hard, this is a big one. Acknowledging I might be wrong. Holding on to multiple truths. I love you, you make me angry. Two truths that happen at the same time. Accepting uncertainty. Allowing our cherished ideas to be challenged. Because you know what? Maybe we're not right about everything. 
being, an, being open to mystery. Living without resolution, meaning every situation in your life, everything you have questions about is not always going to get a bow tied on it. Living in the gray, there's not always a black or a white to things. Giving away the last word and trusting God with outcomes instead of trying to be God yourself. And we believe, based on our understanding and reading of the scriptures, that this was one of the greatest signs of spiritual maturity demonstrated by Jesus. As Dave talked about last week, spiritual maturity is not that we know all the right answers all the time and that we then tell other people the right answers. Instead, spiritual maturity is living peacefully with others who think, live, and believe differently from us and loving them as Jesus loved, which thus includes loving our enemies. So Dave gave a great teaching last week about what this looks like in parenting and grandparenting life. And this morning I wanna ask, what does this look like in our closest relationships, right? In marriage or in our relationship with our family or our best friends. And James, the brother of Jesus, in his extremely practical, often blunt and to the point letter in the New Testament, has some help for us. And I'm gonna read just a few passages, a few um, verses from the uh, book of James chapter three in the message paraphrase, because sometimes, I don't know about you, but I need a fresh way to read the scriptures so they have the punch that I need them to have. Otherwise, I just think, oh, yada, yada, I know this one. Right? Not true. So this is what James writes. He says, do you want to be counted wise to build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do. Live well. Live wisely. Live humbly. It's the way you live, not the way you talk, that counts. And now he's going to tell us what wisdom doesn't look like, okay? He says mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning, devilish conniving. And whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, Things fall apart, and everyone ends up at the other's throats. So tell me what real wisdom is, James. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It's gentle and reasonable overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other. 
treating each other with dignity and honor. Oh, how we need to hear this today. There is so much here in these five verses. And so I really want to encourage you to go home and open your Bibles and read this text yourself. You'll probably be reading it in a different translation than what I just read. And that is good. That is great, in fact. But notice, no matter what your translation is, the compare and the contrast that James is doing in this passage of scripture. He's painting a very clear picture of two different kinds of wisdom. And both involve living in some kind of tension, but two very different kinds of tension. And the first kind is what I'm calling toxic tension. Toxic tension. It's the kind of tension that poisons relationships. And we see it all around us every day. It is the most common way that humans interact. And it ruins things. But we humans tend to go back to toxic tension like a dog returns to its vomit. Proverbs 26.11, look it up. Could become your life verse, okay? Side note, this Christmas, our dog threw up in my daughter's drink cup in her car and then ate it all back up and cleaned it out better than it was before. It's the biblical truth. Toxic tension. Second kind of tension, the opposing kind, is transformational tension. This is the kind of tension that feeds our souls and changes us and makes our relationships and communities better. It makes our churches better, but it is so rare. And, and the truth is we don't get to pick whether or not we will experience tension in our marriages or closest relationships. We will always experience tension. As my good friend Jeff Mickey reminds us, tension will always find us. But we do get to pick, my friends, which kind of tension we're going to choose to live in always. The choice is ours. Are we going to choose toxic tension or transformational tension? Both hard, but only one with a good outcome. So let's explore this a bit more. Okay, let's dig in a little bit deeper. Let's look at how James, first of all, defines worldly wisdom, what I'm calling toxic tension. He just gives us a nice little list. He said, first of all, it's characterized by mean-spirited ambition. Ambition is a desire to put myself first. And mean-spirited is self-explanatory. It's also defined by boasting, which is simply the use of words to put myself above others. It's characterized by twisting the truth, by trying to look better, and by trying to get the better of others. So when I looked at that list, I thought to myself, what I see here 
is competition in an arena where competition kills. Don't hear what I'm not saying, all you athletes out there. (laughs) In the right arena, competition can be healthy, beautiful, even holy. But in the wrong arena, say for instance, in your marriage, it's just death. And the Bible's clear. What does this lead to? Things fall apart and we end up at each other's throats. Some of us have a really clear visual in our mind of what that looks like. So let's look at the alternative, okay? What, what I'm calling transformational tension, what, what James calls godly wisdom. This is what transformational tension is characterized by getting along, such a simple phrase, being gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy. Now, mercy is basically this idea of having patient compassion and being willing to overlook sin. Uh, the, The picture I get in my mind is the picture of Jesus' parable about the person who has the huge log in their eye while they're trying to pluck out the tiny splinter in the other person's eye, okay? Mercy means I understand I'm a sinner too, and so I'm willing to to offer some grace and compassion. Overflowing with mercy and blessings, favor, goodness for the other person. Steady, not hot or cold, not two-faced. You can count on this person. Treating others with dignity and honor. And what I see here when I look at this list is cooperation in an arena where cooperation brings life. Like in marriages or families or churches or communities or countries. And this kind of tension leads to healthy, robust, meaning strong and powerful, healthy, robust, enjoyable relationships that are right with God. I want that so much. Don't you? And so my question to all of us, every single one of us this morning, is what is our primary posture going to be toward the people we love the most? Think about your marriage or your deepest friendship. When you look at these two different kinds of tension, toxic or transformational, which one do you find yourself tipping toward more often? Be honest with yourself this morning. And just for kicks and giggles, think for a minute about someone very different from you politically. Which kind of tension as followers of Jesus will we choose in our relationship with them? Toxic? The kind that causes us to end up at each other's throats? Or transformational? Healthy, robust, good, enjoyable, God-pleasing? This really matters. So let's 
let's ponder these two postures a bit more. My husband Chuck and I were both raised as athletes. We are competitive people. And the desire to win was deeply ingrained in each of us. Sometime, remind me to tell you about our first tennis match together when Chuck tried to give me some tips. I'll just say there was a flying tennis racket involved and leave it at that. Anywho, when we were first married, it was hard, still is sometimes, to join together to understand that we were now to be a unified team rather than using our competitive forces against each other as if somehow we were enemies. It's a strange thing that happens in marriage. We fought over, oh, let me think, who was working the hardest, whose job or career or education was the most important, whose graduate degree was better, who did more dishes, who handled money correctly, who argued right, who was better, the one who was neurotically early for events or the one who was chronically late? Answer to that one, the early one, okay? We fought about who gave the kids more baths, who did the most housework, whose turn it was to do the dishes, who put the toilet paper roll on right, whose way of driving in the town in which we both grew up was the best way. Here's an example. Why are you turning here? I always turn here. That's dumb. You're dumb. And then we had, and we still have, multiple competitions to see whose route was faster. Often home from church. Spoiler alert, Chuck always won. So mad. These are 1% of the things that Chuck and I have competed over and argued about in our almost 35 years of marriage. And the only ones I feel like sharing in public. but you get my point, I hope. This is the stuff of toxic tension. Competitive, antagonistic, trying to one-up the other, trying to twist the truth to make myself sound wiser than I am, trying to always get the upper hand and get the last word and prove myself right. And it happens all the time in marriages, and it happens in churches, and it happens in countries. For what? Why do we choose it? Why do we go back and back and back and back to toxic tension when it doesn't serve us at all? I don't really know. I mean, if I did, I'd write a book or something. But, but I wonder if, I, I was wondering about that this week, and I wonder if we choose toxic tension because we believe in our heart of hearts. We might say we believe something with our mouth, but in our heart of hearts, we still believe we have to fend for ourselves. We have to somehow prove ourselves better than someone else. We think ambition will serve us that boasting is our only shot at recognition, that twisting the truth will work, that trying to look better than others is somehow a pathway to satisfaction. We think that, but James is very clear that this choice only leads to things falling apart and being at each other's throats. 
toxic tension. It's a deadly dead end in relationships and marriages and friendships and churches, etc. And I want to just ask you, can you feel the weight of it? Can you feel the darkness of it, the heaviness, the destruction of it? See, we have another alternative, according to James. Over 20 years ago, I, slow, I slowly learned that, that I had what, what we at Orchard call the spiritual gift of teaching. And when that learning was unfolding for me, my husband was transitioning to a new career path. He had, some of you don't know this, he had gone to seminary to be a pastor. But he felt led to go down a different path instead and Here I was learning that I might have this spiritual gift and I was very worried that my husband would somehow feel that me starting to teach at Orchard was like usurping his education and his training and his, you know, calling. That I was somehow stepping over the top of him. And so we sat down to have a very serious conversation about this. And I was explaining this to him, how I was feeling, using, of course, the analogy of tectonic plates, the underground geography of earthquakes, because somehow I'm like an expert seismologist, okay? But you know, but you know how one plate shifts over the top of the other? That's kind of how earthquakes happen to cause damage. That's how I felt. That's how I was worried that he would feel like I was trying to be better than him, you know, somehow. And so I was explaining that to him using this imagery. And Chuck listened oh so carefully. And he thought for just a minute, because he's wise like that. And then he said this to me. He said, you know, Alice, there are other kinds of tectonic plates. Sure enough, there's some that are over the top of each other, and when they shift, an earthquake happens. But he said, others, one's not over the top of the other. Others just push against each other equally to form mountain ranges. And so he said, what if we don't see our marriage as one of us being over or under the other? But what if we pictured ourselves as two equal partners living in tension with each other and letting our gifts and our callings push against each other and force us both upward? That's transformative tension, friends. Gentle, reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, treating each other with dignity and honor, doing the hard work of getting along. And this kind of tension, transformative tension, leads to healthy, robust, vibrant, enjoyable, God-honoring, marriages, families, churches, countries. Now there is still tension. 
but as the descriptive word I use says, this tension is now much more transformative and not toxic because we as individuals are for each other. And the tension isn't really so much between us, see, but the tension that we are called to live with is inside of us. This is where we carry the tension and hear me here. In transformative tension, we carry the tension that resides in our own hearts and souls now because we're choosing to tamp down our own egos for the good of our partner, our spouse, our friend. Rather than letting our egos run wild like naughty, needy toddlers demanding their own way and pushing other people out of their way to get it. This is part of what Jesus meant when he said, greater love has no person than this, that they lay down their lives, they lay down their egos for the sake of their friends. Transformative tension. And we have the ability, the power, and the strength every day to choose to live in this kind of tension. And where do we find that ability, the power, and that strength? In Jesus. And I'm not being trite here. We find the power to live this way in the power of Jesus' gospel. Okay, this isn't a um, self help series. This isn't a you got to try harder to be a good person series. This is a series about how the gospel of Jesus changes our posture in the world if we are actually following him. See, because of Jesus and the good news he offers, you are enough, period. You are fully and deeply known, and personally loved. You are not a mistake. You are fully forgiven. Therefore, you and I have nothing to prove. So we, we don't have a need to puff ourselves up or put other people down. We don't have to compete for God's affection and kindness. There's more than enough for all of us. And at the same time, those things are true. If you and I are now followers of Jesus, we are no longer our own. When we are baptized, we are proclaiming that we are no longer living for ourselves. We have a bigger purpose than to simply rule our own little kingdoms and try to dominate other people's kingdoms. And so... And so, because this is true, we have all the strength we need to do the hard, gospel-powered work of living in transformative tension, transformational tension in our marriages, in our families, in our churches, and in our countries. And this looks like getting along, being gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, being steady, not two-faced, treating others, and that means every single human being we meet with dignity and honor. 
in many, many ways, the church needs to reclaim its witness now. And this feels to me like a pretty good start. Let's pray. God, when the world feels as confusing as it does right now, and we find ourselves living in circumstances where we are watching things fall apart and watching people be at each other's throats, it is tempting to just pick a side and join in. But your word calls us to a different way, the way of Jesus. And so we're so grateful this morning that in this teaching on marriage, you led us to this text in James that helps all of us who take your son's name and proclaim it as ours, Christians, Christ followers, that you've painted a very sharp, powerful, clear contrast. And we are reminded afresh this morning that because of your gospel, we are no longer our own. And so we live for you. And so I confess, God, all the different ways that I have fallen short and wandered off and chosen like a dog to return to toxic tension because I think it's gonna serve me and it never does. And I pray that all of us, God, would confess our sins to you this morning in this arena and that we would arise afresh now and worship you in gratitude for your gospel and the power that it gives us in this world to choose your wisdom, transformational tension, in every single relationship we're in, starting with those closest to us. I pray this now in Jesus' name. And I invite all of you to worship with your full hearts now. Amen.